ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is part two of our review of the Great American Bash 1986. Tony Schiavone uh, tells us that Magnum TA was stripped of the uh, US title um, uh, and it's now vacant and Nikita Koloff and Magnum TA have this best of seven uh, series and he just says that the reason for the stripping of the title was for actions during a press conference. Brian, <laughs> can you... Yeah, basically this, this is, I, I will preface this by saying if I love Ron Garvin and Tully Blanchard's feud, Nikita and Magnum is my personal favorite feud of all time, this feud in 86. But uh, without drooling on for an hour about how much I love it, basically after Starcade ends and Magnum ended his feud with Tully, Nikita starts making charges towards Magnum and, hey, he wants, a, he wants a shot at the U.S. title. Their first match is actually way back January 19th at the Army in Atlanta that ends up going to a no contest. Uh, over the next couple of months, you get your normal fights where Magnum runs in, Nikita runs in, blah, 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 you know, the, the schmas. Magnum ends up hanging Nikita, actually, with a chain in the spot we've seen Ma Hawk do so many times uh, lead up to their feud. But basically, as it goes on throughout the spring and summer, um, Nikita wants to fight Magnum on TV. Magnum accepts it. Uh, March 1st television, Magnum ends up accepting it. It uh, looks like we're going to have a TV match of the U.S. title, but then Ivan Koloff comes back. March 15th, and announces that the Kremlin won't allow Nikita to wrestle Magnum on television. So, <laughs> they don't really give a reason for it, but this lead, they just, Ivan basically says the Kremlin said he can't wrestle on television against Magnum. This goes on for a couple of months. Uh, we, as we get into May, they announce a press conference finally announced, Ivan does, to, to announce that finally Magnum and Nikita are going to have their match on TV. Um, Nikita also during this time had said he will not wrestle on television until he gets his match with Magnum. So also during this whole time, Nikita's not wrestling on television at all, which is kind of kind of weird. This all leads to the, the famous uh, press conference that uh, is shown on May 31st, where during the press conference, um, Nikita insults Magnum TA's mother, which I guess is a no-no. Magnum attacks Nikita, jumps across the table, and a brawl ensues on there, which the NWA thinks is a no-no. During a press conference, you don't do those kind of things. Finally, Bob Geigel comes out and re reprimands Magnum TA on television about conduct on becoming a champion. And uh, Magnum basically just belts Bob Geigel on television, drops him. And because of him hitting Geigel, he is stripped of the United States Championship and a best-of-seven series 
is announced between these two for the United States Championship. And leading into the match that we're about to talk about here, Nikita is leading three matches to none as he defeated Magnum July 1st, July 9th, and July 11th as we head into this one. A couple of funny little things there that you mentioned. Um, I love the idea of uh, Mikhail Gorbachev taking time out of his busy schedule in 1986 um, to, uh, to phone Ivan Koloff about the U.S. title. <laughs> Big doing, you know. Do not let Nikita Russell on television until he gets his title. The, the, the other thing is that the Bob. Bob why would Bob Geigel, um get involved in that? Like all the different stuff we've seen at press conferences, and you know all the different stuff that Flair has done uh, as champion. Like, why would he get involved in in this to reprimand Magnum TA? It's the only little yeah. bit of it I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me either. I mean, he he is a president of the NWA at this time, but yeah, like you said, we just talked about Ric Flair attacking people in locker rooms and rubbing their face in the floor, and. Magnus attacked Nikita at a press conference, and that was end of the world. And I don't think the idea for Geigel, you know, kayfabe was to strip him of the title, but then after Magnum knocked him out, he had no choice but then take it from him. <clears throat> so going into this match, um, after a brief uh, shine segment from Magnum TA, uh, Nikita dominates the early going. Uh, Magnum catches color from somewhere again, and again, I missed it. Chad, did you happen to see where he catches color? Um, I, I, I did notice on one shot afterwards, uh, it was basically just like a kind of big punch from Nikita, and Magnum went down, and you could see him sort of cutting himself. Um, so it was after that, um, and he, he got pretty bloody. So Nikita works this in a pretty dominant fashion. He he does a one-handed slam on uh, Magnum at one point, which uh, makes him seem pretty powerful. Uh, he keeps throwing Magnum TA out of the ring, um, and Tommy uh, Tommy Young is unhappy about this. Um, Magnum takes some big bumps to the floor, but then um, Magnum gets a flash pin out of nowhere uh, on um, on Nikita. Where Nikita is, uh, I don't know if you can picture this, but uh, I think Magnum is on the outside of the apron. Um, Nikita is like trying to set him up for a suplex or something to come back in. Magnum jumps over for a sunset flip, and uh, Nikita is holding onto the ropes. And I'm pretty sure that Tommy Young kicks Nikita's arm um, for the one, two, three. And I, I don't like, I can't understand this. That Tommy Young assists. Magnum TA to the win here. I'm not happy he, about this. He's done that a lot. I know a lot of different NWA referees. Earl Hebner as well. A lot of times with Flair's wrestling too, I know you'll see the heel get his hand on the rope and the ref kicks it off. I'm not sure why they do it, but I'm not sure what the reasoning is. But yeah, it's almost like the ref's assisting him. But I mean, in the, in the rules, they're allowed to hold the ropes for a, for a four count or something, aren't they? And you figure if they, also if they touch the ropes, whatever's being done to them is supposed to be broken. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't understand why that's so against the rules, or like enough for Tommy Young to kick his arm. Yeah, I think that's just a Tommy Young thing. Uh, of of all the referees, I would say that I can think of, he's definitely the one that gets the most uh, physical. Um, and, and you know, I kind of go back and forth because I know. One of his other signature spots is kind of pushing Flair down, and Flair will take a bump. 
in their matches, and you know, in one regards, that always got a great pop from the crowd, but in another regard, you kind of think about it, and should the you know, most of the time world champion be taking a bump off a referee and why is the referee asserting himself in that, you know, physical fashion over just an argument. It kind of, uh, it sort of reminds me of like in baseball when the managers and the umpires kind of get into each other's face and start jawing back and forth. This seems to be uh, an NWA thing and especially a Tommy Young thing. If Jesse was here, he'd be losing his shit. I tell you that much. If if he had seen that, he wouldn't be happy. Um, neither would Heenan. <laughs> um, obviously, Tony and uh, David Crockett don't say anything about this. Um, my like as a as obviously as a you know as a as a inverted commas smarky or smart fan, um, I appreciate the work that Tommy Young does. But as a kind of kayfabe markish type fan, um, I'm hating him at this point. <laughs> For all of the all of the stuff that he does, you know, all of the ref bumps, and now this, I I can't believe it. Well, I think in the case of it being 1986, um, you know, the the Russian American thing is still pretty heated, and you know, to see Tommy Young help the American get a win, I guess would really really make him loved and get the fans even more excited. Like we're going to work together to take care of the Russians. Seems very unfair to me. I, d- I don't like the oh, idea clearly. of uh, officials taking sides. Chad, any thoughts on this match? Um, I, I, well, I think this match really uh, increases its value and worth when uh, you come to watch this feud develop as a whole. Uh, watching this one match and a vacuum of this release, the Great American Bash 86 release, you know, this being match four out of their best of seven series, so you don't get a conclusion to the series as a whole on this tape. Uh, the match we saw was, I, I would say, fine. Um, kind of a decent powerhouse match, but nothing exceptional. But uh, just with Brian filling in a lot of the uh, the lines of the feud leading up to this match, which I had a pretty vague knowledge of this feud up to that, and I haven't seen a ton of the uh, backstory uh, between these guys, that really sort of increased a lot of the things that happened uh, with me recollecting my thoughts. So the match, you know, in a vacuum is not very good, but probably for somebody that had seen this feud as a whole develop, uh, it resonated a lot more. You know, what's even more uh, sad is uh, these these guys would go to, to all seven matches, surprise. Right. Um, and match six and match seven were actually shown on television after the bash was over in mid-August. Uh, August 16th, Magnum won match six. And then match seven, which was actually on a episode of Worldwide Wrestling, August 23rd, which to this day I still consider the greatest hour of wrestling ever, as there's a tag team title match as well, plus a world title match. Uh, match seven is a great, great ending of the match where uh, there's... You know, the Russians get involved. Nikita ends up clotheslining Magnum with the chain and beating him for the uh, U.S. title. So it's just, it's a shame this is the match that made the tape just because there were so many, it got so much better after that. Meltzer is pretty down on these two. Uh, reckons they've got no chemistry and he's pretty down on Magnum as a worker, actually. He reckons he's overrated and stuff. I, but Brian, as a massive fan of this view, what, what, what do you think of uh, Magnum versus Nikita just as a pairing? I loved it. I, I I I can't even think I can tell you a good reason why. I don't know if it's because I was eight or nine years old at the time, but 
I loved it. I just, uh, I loved the, the, they had said so much heat between each other in their interviews and, you know, stuff leading up to things that looked like they legitimately hated each other. And it looked like they wanted to kill each other. And they just, you know, and seeing how it ends, the whole feud and everything just made it even worse because it's like, oh, Magnum fought all the way back and they end up cheating their asses off for, to win and steal the United States Championship. So um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a shame too because this is truly the last, thing magnum ta really ever does i mean he wrestles a little bit longer but you know he gets into a car accident this is the last time we'll ever talk about magnum ta which is which is sad because i think he was on his way to becoming a big 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 star and i think a lot of the reason you'll see people including Meltzer, maybe talk bad about him is they basically only had him wrestle 60 second matches most of the time in his squash matches he'd come in two or three moves belly to belly matches over and I don't know if that's why people consider him overrated, but I think he was really good in the ring. I think Nikita had come a long way by this point, and I just think they had great, great chemistry. Well, I, I would say he's definitely. I know, I know, Meltzer a lot of times is somebody that really enjoys a lot of moves. I would consider him, in many ways, to be a moves guy, and you know, in this match and in a lot of the Magnum matches, you're not going to have a ton of moves. And, you know, I wouldn't call this match great or anything, but as a few progressor, I thought it was enjoyable for what it was. Okay. And maybe, uh, well, more Magnum now, because we go well, from... quick thing oh, of... Uh, carry on, Brian. Seriously, anybody cares. These two would, uh, as we said, uh, August 23rd, television show, Nikita wins the U.S. title. They would fight one more time on television um, in mid-September, in a two out of three falls match for the uh, United States Championship, also on Worldwide. If anybody wants to look that match up, uh, another they had another decent match. Uh, both guys win a fall. Third fall gets into a double DQ. Nikita keeps the title. I, I believe the plan was for these two to lead up to Starcade and and an I quit match again for Magnum TA. That's that's what I've read somewhere. But Magnum would be in a horrible car accident uh, in October, and his wrestling career would be over. But I guess, uh, as I just said five minutes ago, we don't talk about Magnum anymore. I lied because we're about to talk about him again right yeah. now. Um, yeah, it, a shame, I guess, that he didn't get... Because I, I guess the idea with the big blow-off would have been Magnum going over at Starcade, right? You, you'd figure as much. Because I think from what they've said on DVDs, you know, WWE released DVDs as well as shoot interviews, that Magnum was the future of, of Crockett Promotions. You know, he was their next their golden goose. He was their Hulk Hogan, if you will. So, so we get Magnum again, tagging with um, Dusty and Baby Doll. Uh, Baby Doll actually in the match uh, against the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette with Big Bubba Rogers in a big hat outside the ring. Um, big Bubba Rogers is uh, is boss man, for those of you who don't know. Um, I can't imagine anybody listening to this wouldn't know the big Bob Rogers is uh, his big boss man, but I don't mention it. This is from Charlotte, um, and it's a cage match. So storyline going into this, Brian. Uh, this this one actually really angers me because I don't understand why Dusty and Magnum had to insert themselves into a feud with the uh, tag team champions as they both had stuff going on in singles. Anyway, uh, I digress from that. The, the Midnight Express, of course, were the World Tag Team Champions. And uh, they started feuding basically with America's team, Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA. You know, they, they had their normal house show run, six-mans, things like that. But uh, the, the crux of this feud is really between Baby Doll and Jim Cornette, where uh, April 26th, actually, on uh, 
Worldwide Wrestling, the Midnight Express had a normal squash match, and following the match, Cornette gets on the mic, brags, and calls out uh, Dusty and Magnum, who come out, and a huge brawl ensues. And uh, during this brawl, Baby Doll also comes out. Jim Cornette ends up drilling Baby Doll with his tennis racket, and which 1986 was really, really bad news for Cornette to hit a woman with his tennis racket, which kicks the feud into it a whole nother gear. Um, and now the focus actually becomes between Baby Doll and Cornette as well, where Baby Doll just wants to get her hands on him. Uh, they continue to feud for the next few months. Uh, the Dusty and Magnum would dress up as the James Gang to get matches with the Midnight Express on television because Cornette wouldn't fight America's team. They end up having a match on television again as the James Gang would end up beating the Midnight Express with uh, simultaneous belly-to-belly suplexes. Uh, non-title matches, the James Gang weren't a known tag team. But the interesting thing about that match as well is Baby Doll comes out with a bull rope and tries to whip Cornette with it, but he ends up getting away. That leads us all to this this match here inside a cage between these six of them where, as I said before, the crux of this is Baby Doll really wants to get her hands on Jim Cornette. So as this match uh, started, I was really looked, uh, wanted to listening out for um, Baby Doll's weight, but unfortunately um, Tom Miller doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't announce it. She actually looks like she's slimmed down a little bit from her Tully days here, Baby Doll. Yeah, I was scared because uh, he announced Dusty first, and then I think he said at 245 pounds. <laughs> and I, at, in the beginning, I was worried whether that was going to be Magnum or Baby Doll. <laughs> Dusty was stealing her food. So, so David Crockett, as this match is starting, uh, says, well, you know, obviously Baby Doll is a woman in this match. But um, you can't call that thing with the Midnight Express. You can't say that's a man, he says, <laughs> of Jim Cornette. I've got to say it right now, that, okay? This is a six-person match because you have Baby Doll in there. Then you have that thing over on the other side, Jim Cornette. You can't say he's a man. And that's... I figured out what he is yet. I, that certainly is the oddest getup I've ever seen. To it, looks, be... it looks like a human pair. It looks like something... Now what, what, whoa, whoa here. Look at this. Is it going to be Cornette and Baby Doll to begin things? Oh, I love it. That's what the fans want to see. Look at him. He's got pads all over his body. Good arm drag by Baby Doll. And Cornette, <laughs> he's wearing like this kind of all-in-one, um, kind of like a, I don't know, he, he's almost wearing two... Um, two different all-in-ones because he's got the all-in-one like the Jerry Lawler star one but he's wearing a lycra under there as well and it's all uh, like padded out so he's got pads all over him <laughs> he looks fantastic in that outfit I, I don't care what anybody says he looks I mean it's a riot him in there and it fits his character perfect for what he's wearing in there you know that swarmy cocky guy that runs his mouth behind his guys spending mama's money and stuff they put him in a ring and he just pads himself up for it. I love it <laughs> So as this match starts, Baby Doll arm drags Bobby Eaton. It's quite a decent arm drag. You know, it's not Ricky Steamboat or anything, but good arm drag from Baby Doll. Um, and Magnum and Eaton are, are, the, are the two to start out on this. Um, when uh, Magnum is uh, prone on the floor, Cornette gets a sneaky tag in. He misses an elbow and then immediately tags out. Um, he's quite funny in this match, uh, Jim Cornette. As you can imagine, he works it as like the ultimate wimp. You know, the, the wimpiest of the wimpy. Um, e- Eaton jumps uh, jumps from the top of the cage at one point to chop uh, chop on Magnum's head. Um, 
and he's got colour now. I don't know if that chop was the thing that got him. I'm really bad at catching when people um, when people start bleeding. But I, was the... I honestly think back then, you know, camera angles were better, and these guys were just better at blading themselves back then. I really do. I think that's a lot of it. Why it's so hard to find, hey, when did he cut himself? Or yeah, but... Whereas you go on, you mean, maybe it's the camera angles. I don't know. If it's Maybe it's the quality of television, but you just can't miss it nowadays. I, I, yeah, well, I, I think part of that, too, though, is, I mean, I know in later years, uh, especially in the WWF style, you have a ton of, you know, somebody gets rammed into the post, is laying face down on the mat for, you know, 30 seconds. So it's it's pretty obvious that, you know, when they come back up and they're bleeding that that's what, that's when it happened, whereas here... You know, in this era, there's a lot of, you know, somebody gets rammed into the cage, they do a quick blade, uh, you know, five seconds later, they're doing something else and have color. Uh, there's not a lot of, you know, downtime from when the move of impact happens. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean. Um, the move that actually kayfabe-wise leads to the color, that's what I don't like. I didn't see that, R- rather than the actual blading itself, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, so, Condry uh, tags in and he tries the same move from the top of the cage, but Magnum catches him. This turns out just to be a hope spot. Um, and then, this is this is where the clipping on this video really kind of confused me, because there's a massive, uh, like, Dusty's in, Baby Doll comes in, um, Baby Doll finally gets her hands on Cornette and beats, just beats on him, um, and then we, we get a pin. Now, I didn't see... Uh, I didn't see a tag um, to e- in either case. I didn't see Baby Dog get tagged in. I didn't see Cornette get tagged in. Uh, Dusty did absolutely nothing in this match. Uh, yeah, any thoughts? Um, I would say this match, um, one thing that sort of struck me is this of uh, the big uh, Jim Crockett releases now. This was the second one that the Midnight Express have been a part of, and in both cases, their matches have tend to be, uh, you know, kind of brawling type matches with comedy mixed in. Yeah. Uh, the Miss Atlanta Lively match was like that, and this match, you know, with the Cornette baby doll sections were like that, which shows their versatility because I thought both matches were at least entertaining. Um, but in some ways, it kind of, I think, short changes where if you were just a casual viewer watching these releases, you didn't really see, you know, the great technical wrestling and tag team moves that the Midnight Express really specialized in. You get some glimpses of their athleticism here with Bobby uh, coming off the top of the cage. Uh, but overall, it, it, to me, that sort of was kind of surprising that in both matches on the big releases, they've both been sort of brawl slash comedy. Um, I know the superstars on the Superstation show was sort of what I, you know, if you asked me what a Midnight Express match and their style of match is, I would point towards a match like that versus the Rock and Rolls than either of the other two matches. Right, right. Yeah, and th- is this getting towards the end of Condry's run now, Brian? It, like, I think no, one more he'll be around Condry. for another eight, nine months. He yeah, doesn't right. leave. Yeah. He okay. leaves in April of 87. 
Yeah. Right. So we we got we got a couple more matches from him. Um. Yeah. I, I was entertained by Cornette in this match. Like he was funny. Um. From what we saw of it. Um. And it was quite like obviously you know he's willing to do anything to put over the product because you know he essentially gets beaten up by a woman here, which is quite funny. Um. So yeah, he he's got to go down as one of the great managers. Right. Yeah, he will. But oh, the one thing I will like to say about this is I much rather would have seen this be the Midnight's in a Rock and Roll in a cage for the tag titles as they had been feuding for it. It would have been a better match. <clears throat> Excuse me. Voice is getting a little choppy here. I apologize. Um, yeah. Put the, put them in a cage. Let them fight for the titles. Dusty has a feud going with Flair. Magnum's fighting Nikita, so you don't need Nikita and Ivan to take on the Road Warriors. Stick Ole and Arn there against the Road Warriors. And I think just those few changes would have made this even better. Yeah, well, is there any reason why we couldn't have had Baby Doll versus Jim Cornette one-on-one? Right, you could even have done that, or just scrapped the whole idea of that feud ever happening. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah, any further thoughts, Chad, on this? I mean, no, I mean, it, it, like I said, it was fine for what it was, but I mean, certainly, I think on this release, I'd like to have seen a more classic, uh, you know, tag team title match, where essentially, in a lot of ways, it felt like the tag team title match was the number one contender match between the Andersons and Rock and Roll. Yeah. So, we go from this back to the studio, it's Tony and David again, and um, they mention this fact that Flair signed the contract to defend the title on all 14 nights, uh, and they mention a big list of guys, Hawk, Animal, Gibson, Morton, Magnum, T.A., Nikita, uh, and Ronnie Garvin, and on the 13th day, uh, he faces Dusty Rhodes. So before we go into this, Brian, any, uh, you said you had a big list there somewhere. Yeah, I, I can basically tell you, um, if we'll run through it real quick, he fought Ricky Morton on July 5th in a cage match, Ricky Morton July 6th in a Texas death match, he also fought him on the July 10th and July 11th, he fought Hawk July 1st in Philly, Nikita Koloff surprisingly on the 4th of July, he fought Robert Gibson on July 21st, he took on Animal July 9th, he also fought Magnum TA on uh, July 25th, which is interesting because that's during... Magnus Bellas, the seventh series, he took a day off to fight for the world title. Um, he fought Wahoo on July 18th, and he also fought Dusty two more times before the match we're about to talk about, which was July 3rd and July 12th. So heading into this, he has had quite a few title defenses as he heads into his cage match here with Dusty to finally finish off the Great American Bash Tour. I imagine on that July the 4th show against Nikita, he must have been working face. That's a good question. I don't actually know. He won't, It's almost a heel yeah. versus heel at that point. It has to be. Maybe since it was July 4th, they did a patriotic... I mean, who knows? It's possible. Yeah. He, he could have, at the end, I guess, brought out the American flag or done, you know, done something there to queue up. Uh, the other... Going through that listing, first, I'd, I'd have loved to have seen him versus Morton in a Texas death match. Uh, I think that would have been... Probably amazing, and then uh, and then him versus Magnum. You know, I I think that's interesting that they had a match because it did seem like that was a feud that they were definitely sort of building to, and they kind of kept them two apart for the most part in singles matches uh, for you know what they thought were better things to come. Unfortunately, Magnum's accident uh, threw away all those plans, but. 
It's interesting they had a singles match there. So, uh, it, yeah, Brian, did you have any other comments here? Uh, yeah, basically they're they're getting here. Finally, the big show in Greensboro in the cage for the title. And, uh, you know, from there we, we get into the match. Yeah, so, so this is a cage match. And um, uh, hold, hold on a second. It, it starts out with... Uh, it starts out with um, a subdued promo from Dusty we get, first of all. They, they kind of take us to a clip. Um, <laughs> during this promo, he references that, you know, he's been doing all the work at the gym and, uh, and running, uh, which made me laugh a little bit. Do you think Dusty ever really did work out? I don't know what he worked out with, because whatever it was, it was not correct way of working out. My, my favorite thing was uh, during this promo, I don't know if they had a sponsorship or what, but Dusty was wearing a red man a tobacco hat and jacket, which, you know, looking at it through this, you know, 2012 eyes, it's amazing. I can't imagine, you know, John Cena doing a promo wearing like a Winston cigarette or Marlboro jacket and um, maybe Dusty collected enough points to, to get those from the yeah title. yeah that's what I was thinking that he was uh, probably uh, signed up for their uh, frequent tobacco user <laughs> club something and this was his reward he, he definitely smokes the big cigars because I've seen him on those uh, 24-7 shows smoking a big you know big fat cigars on those shows so I mean I'm sure he probably chewed because I mean like the the Ric Flair shooting interview that he did with High Spots, he was chewing tobacco. Uh, that was, what, 12 hours, and he was chewing tobacco for about 10 hours of that. So <laughs> I'm sure Dusty probably partook as well. Um, now, I noticed that the belt is the big gold now, and I, I forgot to... Was it at the Superstar show that we did, Brian, was it the big gold then? When did that change no, happen? No, that that was the last time we saw the old uh, NWA title. The the big gold belt would premiere right after that on TV. And how did like when and how did that happen? So we're talking March '86, something something like this, that the big gold came in. Was yeah, it like late, given? late February, early March? Yeah. Do you know if there were any reasons given for this uh, change? Because obviously this belt is legendary. Uh, now. Yeah. Offhand, I do not know. I just it just showed up one day, and they didn't even have a thing where they said, "Here's your new belt. Give us the old one." So I just showed up with it one day. I'm not sure why they decided to do it, unless it was just a, you know, let's have the something really obnoxious to bring out here that's huge. And I love it, but I mean, it was such a change from the, you know, the the traditional NWA title from before. Yeah, no, this uh, a version of this belt is still on TV today, right? Yeah, the the current world title on WWE. So um, we get some a typical uh, Dusty Rhodes shine sequence to start off with here. Uh, you know, a bit of shocking and jiving, some spinny elbows. Um, but things are still quite tentative at the start here. And I've noticed this about Dusty and Flair. They're always tentative to start off with, uh, I guess, to make it feel like more of a big match. Um, still, Dusty gets the best of the early going. Uh, works on Flair's arm. Flair eats the cage, begs off. Um, he tries to win an advantage, but Dusty gets a sleeper on. Ping gets a two. Finally, Flair gets advantage um, with a big gut punch, which wins Dusty. Uh, so he just hit him straight in the belly there. Uh, Dusty eats the cage twice. That gets a big woo from Flair. 
um, and gets a two pin. Then we get what I've called the cheese grater on Dusty twice. Um, and then Flair gets to work on Dusty's old injured ankle, which is a nice callback to their previous matches. Um, he knee drops the ankle, he stomps on it. We get a figure four right in the middle of the ring. Um, Dusty tries to reverse it, but it actually goes 360, so it lands with you know Flair and Dusty back on their backs. Um, but they're too close to the ropes at that point, um, so they break. Flair continues to punish the ankle. Uh, Dusty gets a lariat out of nowhere for two. Which triggers, uh, which triggers his big comeback. Uh, Flair tries to escape the cage, uh, but bags off. Now, <laughs> now Flair's, Flair escaping the cage here, he wasn't actually trying to win. He was just trying to get out of the cage. In, in Crockett, an, a, a cage escape wouldn't be a win, right? No, yeah, that's why I don't understand. Where's he going? <laughs> He's just trying to run away. Um, anyway, he eats the cage uh, now, and Dusty cheese graters him, so we get the... Ex we get the exact same sequence of moves only reversed um, from earlier on in the match. Flair tries to escape again and we get a few brutal shots at the top where Dusty rams uh, Flair's head into the corner of the cage which looked really nasty. Uh, both men are really bloody by this point. More cheese greater action on Flair. Um, Dusty applies the figure four uh, himself which gets a rope break. Then we get seven really stiff chops to the chest, uh, which gets a flare flop. Um, black backslide gets two. Dusty hits another lariat for two. Uh, flare attempts to escape the ring again, and then we get a small package from Dusty and a new NWA World Champion, <coughs> three-time champion now, Dusty Rhodes. And Tom Miller really gives this the bit. This is probably the biggest announcement he's made to date on any of these shows. Um, he really goes wild for this, and the, and the entire Facebook locker room come out to celebrate. And the, the emotion seemed a little bit more genuine to me this time. Small package, hands break, Flair did it! Dusty did it! Dusty Rhodes has just won the match! Dusty Rhodes, the new world heavyweight Ladies champion! Ladies and gentlemen! Ladies and gentlemen! The winner! So, yeah, thoughts on this match, Chad? Um, I thought this, of the matches between Dusty and Flair that we've seen, I like this one the best. Uh, it, uh, in a lot of ways, I think it had a similar structure to the Starcade 85 match, uh, with kind of a little bit of dancing, strutting at the beginning, uh, a tentative start, and then uh, Dusty getting the advantage with the exchanges. I thought the punches again in this match were thrown really stiff between each other uh the gut punch that you uh talked about part was really well done uh, a couple of minor annoyances things i didn't really care for flair continuously trying to escape uh, again the figure four was rendered pretty useless 
but the ending, you know, a lot of NWA world title changes have occurred with cradles. Uh, so we got that here. It was, it felt like a big moment. At least it was a 100% clean finish where there could be no reversing or anything screwy going on with that. Um, and the celebration was nice. Uh, a couple other little points was I thought they used the cage well, uh, with the sequences of them, you know, ramming each other into the cage and kind of doing the whitewashing of the face on the cage. That was well done. And then Flair actually did hit a crossbody off the top, which looked absolutely horrible. Um, it kind of uh, reminded me of his pile driver, which always looks bad. That you know, even though he did, he he never hardly hits a move. Uh, perhaps that's why with as bad as this crossbody looked, but it it did end up being a kind of dramatic near fall because again, you're not used to seeing him hit a move off the top. Uh, so overall, I thought this was, again, the best match we've seen of them, and uh, I, I would consider this a good match overall. I, I have to agree that this is by far the best Dusty versus Flair match we've seen so far. Um, either, you know, the, fir- the first one was too short, um, I thought, and then, you know, the second one, the one from Starkid 85, just seemed like they didn't have enough chemistry for me, but the, this time it's, it works well. I definitely agree with you. This is the best of them. Any any thoughts from you, Brian, on this policy wise? Uh, without repeating what Chad said, no, he nailed it perfectly. They were great in the ring. They were, you know, I just always love these two. And the, the 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 cool thing for me though is this is it for Dusty and Flair in terms of you know high profile matches on videos and tapes and stuff because that they wouldn't wrestle again in a high profile match I can think of for the rest of uh, their time together. Now, Meltzer is particularly critical of the booking here. He criticizing uh, he criticizes Dusty for, pla- for placating his own ego and giving himself the title win here. And he basically says that his popularity was on the wane at this point. So this is a way of him boosting it. Um, and he says Flair is wasted on a Dusty feud. Um, and his argument is that Dusty's the wrong guy to be in this spot. He's past his prime and he was actually getting booed in many arenas. And he argues that Magnum TA should be in this spot. Um, but he also seems to think that the title will be dropped back at the Atlanta show on August 2nd, which uh, didn't happen. No, it definitely didn't. Dusty would win there, but uh, it wouldn't be much longer after that. It was another 12, 13 days after that that Flair would regain the title with uh, help from our favorite heel, Tully Blanchard. Any, any thoughts on the booking here? Like, Do you agree with Meltzer that Dusty was basically placating his own ego here, or do you think there's not? I, 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 I thought about that as well, but then I kind of look around and think, who else do you put here? Um, you don't want to take Magnum out of that best of seven series with Nikita. That was done really, really well, and it was a hot, hot feud. So who else can you put in this cage with Flair at the time? I, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, Wahoo, no. Everybody else seemed to be you know, in a good feud at the time, so it was kind of, that's all that was left. Made sense to me. Chad, any thoughts? Yeah, I kind of I agree with that. I mean, you know, hypothetically, you know, you could say, well, Dusty may have not have been the best choice, but, yeah, I mean, they were running Morton versus Flair, and apparently that wasn't drawing. Uh, I think Magnum was fine in his Nikita feud now, and like I said earlier, I mean, I think they were definitely building towards 
uh, something Flair versus Magnum, uh, but, you know, they just didn't get there, so there's not really another obvious choice of, uh, who they could have done. I mean, I, I mean, me personally, I would have loved to have seen a, uh, a Flair Tully feud, uh, down the road, but, uh, I think this would have been way too early into the Horseman reign to, uh, sort of go all the way with that, even though, you know, there was a lot of times where there was some kind of underseated tension between Tully and Flair and the Horseman group promos. Uh, I'd have liked to have seen that played up eventually, but not at this time. So I think giving Dusty the belt now is sort of a last hurrah uh, as being the world champion was not, you know, the worst decision they could have made. I mean, maybe maybe one other thing they could have done was, and I'm not sure if Pro Wrestling USA was still going on at this time, the, the joint venture between the NWA and AWA, but stick Flair in there with Stan Hansen, who was the AWA champion at the time, maybe in a title versus title match, but you pretty much have to take the cage down then and end it in a double DQ or a double count out, but that's the only other possible thing I can think of. That match in 1986 would have been really, really interesting. Um, that would have been very interesting to see. Or they could, I guess they could have done a Kurt Henning, uh, feud too. That would have been really good at this point in time also. Or Rick Martel, if they could have got him. Rick Martel, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I can only see that uh, hypothetical Hanson Flair match being almost a squash. I can't see how Flair would get any offense in on just a Hanson. Hanson yeah, and you, and you can't have either guy get a clean pin either because, I mean, they're two world champions from two different federations, so you, you wouldn't be able to have an ending with it. And there's been a lot of other, you know, unification matches. Flair and Martel, for example, did fight in uh, late 85 in Japan in a, AWA versus NWA title match when Martel still had the title. And again, you know, you can't have a clean finish there because because of the titles. Yeah, that's a decent match. Actually. Rick Martel at this point is uh, really good, by the way, uh, if, any, yes. if anybody's not seen him. Yeah, if you can hunt down the Flair, Flair Martel match from, I believe it was October of 85 in Japan, fantastic. Yeah, yeah It seems weird that they'd never have a match. I, I can't recall Flair... Facing Hanson, I mean, it might have happened in the seventies. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain. You know, once we get to the eighties, that they never matched up. But uh, I'm not. Uh, I don't even think. Yeah. I don't even think they fought in Japan. That's, that's yeah. No, yeah, I don't see. I don't think they ever fought in Japan. Um, that's, that's weird, isn't it? Like, uh, of all the dream matches, of all the big matches that could have happened like most of the time with Flair you're like oh did he face this person and usually he has some at some point but uh, I can't think of any examples of a, of a handsome match um, going back to Meltzer's point um, one I mean I guess from his point of view Magnum TA had already been had already had a run with the US title so maybe it was time to pull the trigger and kind of elevate him at this point uh, I can see an argument for, for that to a certain extent because um, you know he went over Tully pretty strongly so you know he was obviously a big point a uh, big star at this point and obviously I mean how old was Dusty at this point like 46, 47 he, yeah he, he's getting up there but, but what I can say is you know Magnum did win the feud with Tully so he does have the title and if you're going to elevate him up, you might as well come up with a, a good way for him to lose his title, but not just get beat, lose it. You know what I mean? 
right. where he gets into this view of Nikita. He loses it in a terrible way at the end. Now you can start to build him towards Flair. But again, I don't know. I've heard conflicting stuff from Starcade that it was going to be Flair and Magnum, or was it really going to be, you know, Magnum and Nikita one more time? Dusty would have been 40. Oh, it's 40. Okay, so he's not that old. Not at all. Just 40, okay. Oh, I actually thought he was a little bit older. Cause, uh, yeah. He started his career earlier than Flair, right, Dusty? Like, 72 or something. Like, he started pretty like, early. Yeah, yeah, early. yeah. I mean, he started pretty much once his, uh, you know, his ac- collegiate academic career sort of ended. He pretty much got in the business, uh, I think, like, uh, you know, 72, 73, that type. Um, the other counter to Meltzer would be that, I mean, almost like what you were saying, Brian, Dusty is pretty much the top babyface, and if somebody else was booking this, let's say Dusty wasn't the booker, and his popularity was on the wane, you would want to find a way to boost it. So, oh, yeah, definitely. Just objectively speaking, like Dusty's booking is doing the right thing here, surely. Now, Dusty winning, I, I might have a problem with that, but I understand him being in the match, but I, I, I would have had Flair win to keep the title stronger, so when he does eventually drop it to Magnum, if that's who it is, if it's in a year from now, it's just that much stronger. We uh, Just finishing up here, we get an amazing, and I mean amazing, 80s uh, snare drum <laughs> music playing here um, with some uh, highlights of the of the video. Like just a video package of uh, you know the matches that we've seen so far, and the credits roll. Um, I'd like to get my hand. If I, I might make that music the uh, the opening music to this uh, particular show because I uh, I enjoyed how 80s it was. <laughs> Either that or um, the I'm surprised they didn't use the standard you know Frank Stallone song. Um, I don't know the name of the song, but everybody knows the beat when they see it with NWA stuff. Terrible rendition of it. Hopefully, you know what I mean. So, uh, I, th- I guess we've reached the time now. Uh, oh, yeah. Before we go into that, what happens after this uh, feud-wise, Brian, between Dusty and Flair? Is this? Is yeah, this- Dusty wins the rematch in August. Um, no, this is August, but a couple of days later, he wins the rematch, and then he has another match. I think it's against Tully actually for the world title in a house show, and they, they injure his leg there. Tully and uh, Flair injure his leg. So, again, when uh, Flair faces Dusty a third time, uh, about 10, 12 days after this, Dusty gets put in the figure four and passes out from the pain from the leg injury, and Flair goes right back to Flair, and things are like they never happened. So I I don't even know why they did this, other than to placate his ego and make him a three-time champ. And and from this point, I mean, does Dusty kind of start wrestling a little bit less after this, like going into 87, or does he, you know, maintain a full schedule? Oh, he's still, I mean, full-blown. He'll, because after this, let me think here, he he will, following this, he drops the title back. He will then beat Arn Anderson for the world television title on television. Uh, We can get more into that when we get to his match at Starcade. He has a big match at Starcade with Tully. He gets into 87. There's the War Games. He still wins the United States title. Yeah, he's still going full-blown for another year and a half. About two years. Okay, so he yeah he's still an you know he's still a pretty active wrestler and booking. He must have been a very busy chap at this time, doing all this booking, like uh, booking all of these different shows. It must be a tremendous strain on uh, on someone to come up with all these. 
And I, I guess, uh, I say all these ideas we've seen, he's only really got about four ideas that he just keeps rotating and repeating. <laughs> and, and with the amount of money they, you know, seem to have been spending and lived the way the life they were living, I don't think it was that bad. I, I would love to sit around and say, let's put so-and-so together and we'll have this match and this match. I, I guess the only the only problem I can see with that is you have to placate people's egos. You know, I don't want to be pinned by him and stuff, but the actual idea of sitting down and booking all this sounds like a ton of fun. So we, we, we reached the stage in the show where we give out our awards. Um, can't really have match of the night, given, given that these obviously the tour was a number of different nights, so we can have um, best uh, match of the video package. <laughs> um, Chad, you've already mentioned which one you're going to give it to. Yeah, um, I think I'd edge the tape fist match. I don't think this show had a, a clear... Um, you know, like a runaway match of the night match. I thought that, uh, you know, there was about, I guess, three or four matches I can think of offhand that hovered around the area. But I, I really, one, like that uh, the round system, kind of different rounds is something you don't see a ton of in U.S. wrestling and especially done uh, well. I mean, this was around the time of the Mr. T, Roddy Piper, a boxing versus wrestling match so we uh you know just a few months earlier saw a terrible example of that type of match so it was refreshing to see it done well here yeah and garvin looks really convincing as a boxer doesn't he like he his punches look like they hurt yeah i, I think he did he does a great job of being kind of a you know somebody that you wouldn't want to get you know, down here in the south, there still is a good many kind of what you'd call honky-tonk bars. And uh, usually there is somebody there that sort of would remind you of Garvin, where he may not be the biggest guy or have, you know, the most uh, strong, you know, biggest muscles on the surface, but it's kind of somebody that you would not want to mess with in a bar fight. Brian, uh, match of the night, match of the video. Dusty and Flair, just because it's basically the only one that's complete, and I, I'm a huge fan of complete matches with no clipping in them, so just by default, Dusty and Flair. Yeah, I'm going to go with... Um, I may go with Dusty and Flair as well, just because it was the best match we've seen from them. But I do, I did like that Tully-Garvin match as well, um, and I quite like the psychology of the Andersons versus the Rock and Roll Express. Right. That yeah. was the best that was a good match. Uh, no, I'm going to give it to Garvin and Tully. Just because that's a unique match, and I'll, you know, you could ask me in six years, and I'll still remember watching that. You know, it's yeah. with Tully laid out, and uh, so I'll go. Sorry, Brian, I've gone with uh, I've gone with Chad on this. <laughs> that's quite all right. I think my problem with the tape fist match is I try to compare it too much to their their uh, match they had on television in May, which is just. One of the greatest matches I've been one of my personal favorites ever, and that's probably why I knocked the tape fist down a little bit. Good match, but yeah, I'll stay alone on this one. Yeah, I, I know we usually in a lot of these shows kind of get into it, but I, I, I would say, you know, whenever the, the Crockett set happens on the Death Valley Driver message board, uh, I would I would say that TV match in May will finish uh, really high. Um definitely probably a top 20 contender oh yeah definitely yeah. i mean i could even see it in the top 10 it's just yeah, it's yeah. fantastic 
I haven't actually possible. seen that yet, but I'm, uh, you know, I have that Four Horsemen set. I think I'm approaching it. I'm around kind of February time in that set, so I'll I'll be seeing that in the in the coming weeks. So when I do, I'll I'll definitely mention it on our next show. Um, so MVP for the Great American Bash '86, Chad. Um, I feel like I say this every time. Uh, I think this is three times in a row where I went with him, but I'm going to go with Tully. Uh, again, I, I just think the way he, um, you know, he, he just, he's such a great heel. And uh, he, the way he sells the punches where he, you know, had different types of knockout selling and kind of his, uh, I always loved the uh, sort of the, where he goes down to his knees and then face first, sail off the punches. Him, you know, not being able to lose his robe. Uh, he he was really good. Helped by J.J. Dillon. Dillon was a great second in this match. Uh, but I, I would go with Tully overall. Brian? Um, I, I think for the tape itself, Tully, for the same reasons Chad said, uh, for the bash, flair, because he had to fight so many different styles over the course of that month and, you know, make every one of them interesting and, and make people want to see them. So for the tape, definitely Tully uh, for the whole batch flair. It's, it's hard not to give it to Tully, isn't it? Like, he seems to win it every time. <laughs> well, I, 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 one thing that I was thinking of, I mean, it's kind of interesting in that these shows I don't think we've had, you know, the shows we reviewed, I don't think there's been a blow-away great flair match. Um, which yeah. is kind of odd because, I mean, around this time, already in 1986, he had the uh, Battle of the Belts match with Wyndham, and he had the Morton match that was on the uh, WWE DVD. So, I mean, those he, he was clearly having, you know, all-time great classic matches. It's just so far on the shows, I mean, I, I, mean, he, I would say the Starrcade 84 match was not good at all, but the, the other matches have it, at worst been decent. But uh, nothing that I would call great either. But by far his best match that we've seen on these shows so far has been the Nikita Koloff match. I thought he that was him at his best so far. Um, I I think that it may be that that he stuck with Dusty. Kind of what Mouse is saying that you know Flair's kind of wasted in those Dusty matches because he could be having five star classics given the right opponent. You know. Um. So you've both gone for Tully. I'm trying to think of who I'd go for for MVP. Uh, it's it's going to have to be Tully, isn't it? There's no. I'm just trying to think of who el- who else could it possibly be? Who who else is in contention? Cornette, maybe. Um, <laughs> no, it it really has to be Tully for this for this tape. So he gets the hat trick again, um, and then we've got the Billy Graham Award. Um, I I would go with Paul Jones on that. Uh, mm, assist to Tommy Young because I thought again the finish to the Flair Hawk match was terrible, but uh, but Paul Jones to me, uh, just on this tape, we saw J.J. Dillon give a great managerial performance. Uh, we saw Jim Cornette give a great managerial performance in a match, and him in that match with Jimmy Valiant. I mean, he showed no charisma. I mean, we didn't see much uh, 
worth from him also in the match uh, as a second in the Shaska-Watley match. Uh, so overall, I just don't get uh, much of appeal from him as a manager. So keeping it within the army then, making Billy Graham proud. Uh, of course. Brian, any... Uh, yeah, I'm right there, Paul Jones. He's just very unentertaining to watch in the ring. Plus, from a personal view, he didn't let the Barbarian fight Jimmy Valiant, so that's strike two. <laughs> um, I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna break ranks here. Um, as much, I, I agree. I don't really like Paul Jones. I've said this before that, like, I don't. When people bring up, uh, you know, greatest manager conversations, and when people mention Paul Jones, I don't understand that at all. I've seen nothing so far to change that opinion. Um, my pick, though, is the Hawk. Uh, just because I am unhappy at the way he worked that world title match. He made he made Fair look like a chump in that match. And uh, I'd, that's not just bad for uh, Flair. It's bad for the promotion. It's bad for the, the title. It's bad for everyone. And uh, to me, that just makes me think that Hawk is a, just a, just a dickhead. Do you know what I mean? Like he should have worked that. He should have given a little bit more to his opponent. So I'm picking Hawk, but two to one. Paul Jones gets it for this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, next time out, we're going to be looking at Starcade '86. Any uh, kind of major plot points to mention before we before we uh, leave? I don't know, not too much other than Magnum won't be there. He's going to be, you know, he's gone now. We won't hear from him again. Uh, everything else, I believe, Starcade will involve either wrestlers that aren't in the Crockett yet that are just showing up or some feuds that really heat up after the bash that uh, start to take shape and develop here into the summer and fall. Is Baby Doll still around by the time we get to Starcade? Yes. She's back. She's a heel again, but she's back. Okay. All right, guys. Well, well, thank you very much as ever, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed this one. All right, talk to you later. All right, guys, take care. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>